This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Selathiel, Selathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Iliad, Iliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who's called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. How's that for a reading? Wow. (laughs) Wow, that, that makes Pentecost Day look easy, I'm just saying. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of fathers in there. The father of, the father of, the father of. If you're of another generation, you, you knew it as begat, 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 the begats. Uh, candidly, not so many mothers mentioned. But, you know, that strikingly for the first century, there actually are some. And strikingly for people of decorum, um, Rahab and the wife of Uriah, who he stole. That's the way history works, and that's how Matthew begins the story of Jesus, that our Lord Jesus had history, that he had a a background, he had a a family tree, he had history. And as Matthew will make the case in 28 chapters, that really matters. Your history matters. Where you came from matters. Several months ago, when our church council decided to have a day like this, we struggled what, what it would really be like. Uh, we were pretty adamant about, you know, let's don't just celebrate the past as if the past is the greatest thing, but let's think about the future as well. And we realized quickly that they're all hooked together. Because where we came from, it, it matters. 
And what we wanted to do on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of the congregation was remember where we came from. So let me set that stage. Uh, this is going to sound different depending on how old you are. 1967, top 10 television shows. Andy Griffith, number one. The Lucy Show. Gomer Pyle, Family Affair, Bonanza, Red Skelton, Dean Martin, Jackie Gleason, and a brand new show that first year, Bewitched. 1967, May, the same year this church was dedicated, the Beatles produced the song. Three days after we built this church, not a coincidence, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Band. The Packers won a Super Bowl that year. Eh. <laughs> Cardinals won the World Series. Okay, that's so good. 76ers won the NBA. I don't think they've won anything since. <laughs> Average cost of a new house in 1967 in Worthington, Ohio, $13,400. Average income per year, 7300 Average salary for a pastor, 4900 Average monthly rent, $122. Wow. Gas was 33 cents a gallon. Buy a new car, cost you $2,750. That's what it costs to fill up an SUV now. <laughs> uh, a movie ticket, $1.25. Anyone want to guess what the number one movie was that year? Blockbuster, Cool Hand Luke. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate, all came out that year. And you could still see movies for cheaper than that at something your parents will explain to you later. It was called a drive-in movie theater. They were really cool. Not everything was cheaper back in that day. They really weren't. Um, a Polaroid camera cost $40. Um, a Parker pen and pencil set, which was a very popular graduation gift. I still have mine. Eleven ninety-five. And personal calculators, what, you can buy like six for a dollar now at the dollar store? We're pushing $100 a piece, and you had to plug them in when you used them. The Vietnam War was full go. 475,000 troops were deployed that year, and some of you were them. And the anti-war movement began then as well, and some of you were them. Twiggy? <laughs> Never understood it. Uh, <laughs> Miniskirts. Uh, it was called the sexual revolution. I think it meant that we could talk about sex. Um, and the role of women were changing dramatically. Uh, at that point, there were still only male pastors in the Lutheran church. First female pastors were ordained in 1970, just three years after this church started. There were race riots in 1967. Even the term is offensive when you hear it now. In Detroit in particular, but all over the country, 7,000 National Guard troops were called out. 1967, I did not yet have a driver's license. I was a freshman in high school. I was 15 years old. How old were you? Go ahead and tell people. No, don't do that because most of you don't have anything to say because you weren't here yet. 1967. In 1967, the American Lutheran Church, which is one of the predecessor bodies of what is now called the ELCA, uh, said, we want to build a church. Uh, we want to build a church where it looks like the city of Columbus might be growing, and we can own this kind of stuff now. What that meant was this is where all the white folks are moving, and Lutherans were white. 
So we moved up in this direction, and they, it wasn't that a bunch of people got together and started a church, but a church body got out a map and said, you know, we're going to get us a church, and we're going to call someone and be the pastor, which I can't imagine this kind of call, Pastor Walter and Penny, Irvin Penny. Um, they didn't come to a church. They knocked on doors. They had to find a church. They had to call the church. He started January 1 of 1967. He was hired by the American Lutheran Church. Um, but then by spring... They'd gotten enough people together, and on Saturday, May the, the 13th, they had a congregational meeting. Think about that. A congregational meeting on Saturday. How many of you will come? <laughs> they were smart enough not to do it in the fall during football season, but, uh, but they did it. And they signed a charter, and that day you became a charter member of the congregation. There were 39 members. They worshiped the next day, in the building they had already built. They weren't a church yet, but they built the building. And um, they installed Pastor Walter, formally, and then they handed him the mortgage and said, good luck. They were a real church. They had a building, and they had a debt. (laughs) But mostly, they had a vision, a vision of reaching out with the love of God. I've asked some members, uh, Frank and Fred, if you guys want to come on up and sit up here in the chairs for a minute. Uh, I actually invited their wives too, and I'm feeling a little bad. Neither one of them is doing well today, and probably because I created the anxiety of I'm going to ask you questions, uh, and I, I don't feel good about that. But they were around at the beginning of this church, and I've decided I just want to ask them some questions and, and learn some things today. First, thanks for doing this. I know, I know this is not what you, either one of you really want to do, but, but thanks for doing it for, for me. Um, first, were either one of you charter members? I don't even know. You were, Frank. You were a charter member that day, May 13th. And Bev, I assume. And kids at that point? You had your kids at that point? I uh, know, not yet. Yeah, still just the two of you. All good. Not yet. Not yet, okay. Uh, well, how, how did you come to this church? What, what happened then? Did Pastor Walther knock on your door, or what happened? Pastor Walther knocked on our door and talked with Bev, and we decided we'd go and try it, see what it looked like. And from then on, we stayed there. Yeah, you have. <laughs> right. Uh, thank, thank God it looked good at that point. Uh, uh, and Fred, when did you get, when did you and Joanne get to Lord of Life? Uh, we came in November of... Uh, 69. 69. So about two and a half years afterwards. And if I call, Frank, um, I think the night when you guys dedicated the building before that service, I think people were like frantically trying to get like the linoleum down and stuff like that. You were trying to get the whole building finished. Yeah. Yeah. The night before we had the service, we were uh, putting in the cove around the sanctuary before we Went in for service. Wow. The night before. Wow. So it's in our, it's in our genes, the last minute. That's good. Right. Um, <laughs> that's good. Uh, Frank, uh, you, you taught Sunday school in this church for a long, long time. And uh, when you stepped down from that, I, I made you the promise that I'd never stand you up and, and thank you for that. And I'm not doing it now. I do know that President Jimmy Carter sent you a thank you note, uh, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Um, what, yeah, what? It was great, I'll tell you. Yeah, why? Uh, why was teaching so important to do that those, that many years for you? Why was that important? Well, it was an opportunity to share the word, and to me, 
the Bible is very important. And if if you concentrate on what God has said through the Word, then you know how to live and move. Excellent, excellent. And I know that uh, Bev, I think, was the first secretary. I, I still see her typewritten notes in the, in the church office. Uh, um, and she was my prayer partner for seven years. And I know that every time we met, you drove her over here. Uh, how, how about prayer? Let's go the other way. Why, why do you think prayer is so important in a church? Uh, unless you have the discussion with God and look for him to guide you. I do prayer is the only opportunity. And if you don't use prayer, you're on your own, and that's not the way to go. Awesome. Yeah, if you want to go with God, that's how you keep, keep talking. Um, and uh, there was something here when I first came called the Bethel Bible Series. Uh, tell, tell people what that was. Uh, that was uh, created by a pastor, I think, in Wisconsin. And... Pastor Walther thought it was very good. He brought it in and had a training session, which was a two-year training session for us. There's two of us that taught the first class, uh, March Danny, who's, I think she lives in Florida now, and myself. And uh, the teaching itself was a two-year course for those people who came in to learn the Bible. And we went through the total Bible. And there were a series of uh, words for each of the chapters throughout the Bible. And you had to learn those. And we shared those. And there was a picture for each of the Bible or each of the books of the Bible, that we shared those concepts with that with that picture. Wow. So the whole Bible, not like, let's study Philippians this week, the whole Bible. No, you went through all 66 books. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Fred, um, worship and music has been a big part of your life in this church. Um, uh, what, what was the worship like in those early years when you came to Lord of Life? Well, it was, I guess, pretty simple in uh, the early days. Or you're talking about before I became the Lord of Life, or before here, here at Lord of Life, when you came. Um, we had a small place, and everything took place in that area, as you know. And uh, it was pretty simple, I think. Well, it still is in some ways. Yeah. What kind of organ did we have? I have no idea. <laughs> that's the right answer if you ask me. That's great. Uh, it was a little electric organ. I know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do, you, do you remember who, who was uh, leading choirs or any of that or playing the organ? Well, jo- Joanne was not an organist, but she was a pianist, and sometimes they used a piano, and she was involved with that. Uh, a fellow by the name of Danny Russell who is uh, uh, in the the news business, was here for a while as an organist. I do remember him. And Mm -hmm. his wife works at Capital University, and I see her occasionally. Uh, 
I'm not very good at this point with all the names of people because we had quite a few different ones. Yeah, yeah. Both of you served at church councils, congregational presidents. You guys, you guys did it all in those early years. It was just pretty phenomenal. Um, what experience do you have from leadership? How, how did leadership work at that point? Yeah, was it was it lots of teams or was it just a small team of people or how did leadership work? Well, when you start out with a congregation, I think you said thirty some. Yeah, uh, you said that everybody was a leader. <laughs> I love that. And they all, everybody took part and the cleaning of the church and not only the operation of the on Sunday, but getting the church ready for Sunday. Yeah. I, I remember seeing lists of, it's your turn to mow, it's your turn to clean, it's your turn to take out the trash, and everybody came in and did all those things. Pretty phenomenal. Um, Fred, you've been leading a lot of things. You were uh, on the, uh, you were the foreman of the construction of this worship space. Um, how, what was that experience like? Well, I don't think it would be the foreman because <laughs> <coughs> a lot of stuff went on with that that uh, um, I would not have been able to do. But they, I was asked by the council to serve as a intermediary on a daily basis between the contractor and and the church so uh, as a result I kept a diary of what went on as much as we could figure out and it really was an exciting thing to learn uh, how things were being done and how this floor was picked out and things like that yeah awesome I'd like to share one thing back before that after uh, after Irv left we really ran into some problems with the financing because we were not keeping up with what the church expected to take over, and they were continuing to to give money. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, right before this got really bad, we got a second pastor, J. Weston Jones. And I, I doubt if very many people know this fact, but when he came to look over... He came from Athens, Greece. He was a pastor in Greece and wanted to come back to the States, I guess, and so he was uh, sent on a mission to come here, and we even had to put him up overnight. You know, West J. Weston Joan, that was a problem. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But the part I want to tell... Uh, I know it was a time when I was the chair of the congregation, and the district uh, came in here, a couple people, and wanted to talk about what they were going to do. And as it went on in the process, he said that uh, uh, we're pulling out of this, we're going to close down this church. When I got the floor, I don't remember to this day what I actually said except for one thing. And what I said is, you will not close down this church. We are going to continue. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that was a real struggle at that time, finances and so forth. But to have your bishop come and tell you that the church is going, 
that doesn't go down very well, especially when you're a Christian and you know that you're doing the God's work. And we stayed here. Yeah. Well, that kind of begs the question. You must have at some point said, uh, thought about leaving, thought about closing. Why, why, did you, why did you say no? Why did you stay? Why did I say what? Why did you stay here at Lord of Life? At that point when a church is struggling, why would there I were stay? other churches around here, why would you stay? Uh, I, I guess it's the call of God because that's where I was supposed to be. That's uh, uh, the, the look-see in, in most of my life where major decisions was made. I don't think I made the decisions. I think they were made for me. So. I, brought a, I brought an artifact. When I first came to Lord of Life, uh, I found this in my desk, and it took me a couple years to figure out what it was. Um, but I figured out what it was, and it was really a story. Do, do you guys rec- you guys recognize these? Frank, what is that? I remember seeing it, but I can't tell you what. Okay. I can't remember that that far, but what it was used for. Put your oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Uh, I think we did use that uh, for one of our... Building programs, if I recall correctly. You did. You had an annual pledge process, and everybody got one of these, and they wrote down on it what their financial commitment to this church was. And it was when we first started coming up and putting it up on the altar. That was long before I got here. But somebody took the time to sew these for every member in the church and and put their pledge cards in there. Um, Partly why we have a church today for people's generosity. Um, It's a big deal. Hey, I have been... um, it's unfair for me to be the one to ask all the questions, so I have uh, some connections to some people in the parish, uh, and I, uh, I asked some kids that I know that are under the age of 10, uh, what would you want to ask some people who are around when the church started? Unfortunately, they thought I was talking about the disciples, <laughs> so I had, to, I had to bring that down just a little bit uh, so that we understand, but I, I said 50 years ago. And uh, so I got some of their questions, and I thought, I said, what did you wear to church in 1967? What did you have to wear to church? Look at Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I haven't changed over the year. Exactly. One thing is I feel that when you come to church, you should be dressed and present yourself before God. And I've always wore a suit, and I continue to wear it. Um, when you come to church now, what do you like best? And again, these are seven or eight-year-old kids. When you go to church, what do you like best? Well, I guess I like best seeing the people that I know that are coming here and get to say hi to them and so on. Has that changed over the years for you? Has it always been that way? Yeah, and, and I think it's uh, the place for me to be at this particular time. And as a family, uh, we took a, a very difficult decision if we didn't come to church on Sunday. There's something had to be wrong because that was the place to be. We can imagine how difficult this one is for me to hear and then ask. Um, did your pastor ever leave you? Did your pastor ever leave? Did your pastor ever leave? And I know the answer is yes, twice. Oh, yeah. What was it like? You're when talking you... about on vacation? No, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the time for me. Yeah. Uh, 
No, but when that process, there's a lot of anxiety for kids right now. We have a pastor, and now the pastor's taking another call, or in some case, going to retire. Um, what was that like when you changed pastors? Well, I mentioned a little bit about the situation with Jay Weston because um, that was kind of taken out of our hands uh, when when Irv left. We were sorry to see him go, but uh, that was an unusual call process as far as we were concerned. So we really didn't know any better, so just go with the flow, and that's what we did. Um, and I don't remember too much about when... Pastor Jones left, um, except for the fact that uh, uh, we finally got a fellow that decided to stay a while. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to tell you something. I don't know whether he wants me to or not, but in case you didn't know it, we had to call him twice before he actually accepted the job. (laughs) And that, that was kind of a difficult thing. Uh, in a sense, and I want to give uh, due where due is should be given, is that uh, I don't know, you probably don't know Denny Osp, who has been director of church relations for Capital University, and he always wanted to see, uh, when I would see him on a monthly basis, how's things at Lord of Life? And this is where Jim came and so on. Well, on a Thursday before Labor Day, when we were going to have a meeting to call pastor because uh, he had, Jim had uh, turned us down and and, and uh, Denny asked, uh, told him the story, he wanted to know all about it and I said um, what are you going to do and he says well call him again I said can we do that we didn't even, I thought you turned it down and that was it you don't call him again but uh, I went back and got on the phone to Jim, and we talked over some difficulties about what we uh, was holding him back, and uh, he didn't get a unanimous vote on the call then, but uh, it was only a few votes that he didn't get. So. <laughs> and it's been wonderful ever since. Thank you. Thank you. And here, here's something both of you can testify to. Um, this person is six, and I said, did Pastor Jim ever really have hair? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, maybe just like a last thing. What, you know, 50 years in a church, there's, there's nearly 100 years of Lord of Life Church sitting right here. Um, what's your hope for Lord of Life Church in the future? What, 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 do you, what do you hope for Lord of Life Church now? I hope we stick with the basics that... The Bible is still the key to learning and guidance, and that we put our full hope in Jesus Christ, because that's what it's all about. Amen. Amen. Fred? Well, I hope that more people will find us one way or another and realize what a wonderful place this is to be, to worship, and be here on a regular basis as well. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more, but uh, I've told you privately before, uh, you're my big brothers. Uh, Thanks. Thanks. That's what I want to say. Thank you.
I'm not done. Uh, I want to ask some more questions. Um, kids have been sharing with me, but uh, I want to ask kids some questions. I want to go the other way for just a moment. If you are if you're a member of Lord of Life Church, this, if this is your church and you're under 10 years old, we just raise your hand so I can just see where you're at. If you're like under 10 years old and you're a member of this church, there we go. I just kind of need to see where you're at. That's uh, Mrs. Mazzola, who I knew when not quite as young as you, but I have a hard time not saying Chris out loud. That's Mrs. Mazzola, who leads our, our Christian education. And I'm going to ask some questions, and if, if you want to answer one of them, she'll come around with the microphone, and, and we'll hear what you think about, about Lord of Life Church. Um, well, the easiest one for me was, well, what's your favorite part about church? Is there, is there anything you really like about church? Uh, and then we'll hear from what you, ooh, you guys might be prompted even, I think. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I swear. What's your favorite part? Thank, um, communion. Communion, excellent. The songs. The songs and singing. Over here. What's your favorite? What's your favorite part about church? The service. Uh, Dalton even wants to say something. My favorite part about church is having bread. Ah, excellent. Um, I think um, that today's sermon was really good, and I also like the Christmas musical. Yeah, the musical, that Christmas musical is pretty darn good. I'll say that for sure. Uh, Okay, let's think of another question. Uh, how do you decide what to wear to church? Because I notice, I just noticed this, but you're not dressed like Mr. Rundio, and you're not dressed like me. I wear the same thing pretty much every week. How do you decide what you're going to wear to church? Oh, there, there's one right in the middle over there. It's got... Whoop. Um, my mommy tries to make me wear something. Would you you do them on this side? (laughs) Speaking the truth. You know, my mom did that for a lot of years, too. (laughs) And that was really helpful for me. Uh, Anybody, how do you decide what you're going to wear, Amelia? Um, I I pick it out. You pick it out yourself. Anybody um, have to, you know, I'm not going to get parents in trouble on that. Sorry. it's kind of a big question, but um, who's allowed to come to church? Who, who's actually allowed to come to church? Anybody? Oh, here, here's one back here. Okay. Everyone's, everyone's allowed to come to church. Everybody cheer at that answer. Yes. Everyone. That's a, that's a million dollar question. This one's very similar to it. Who's allowed to come to communion? Jacob. Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. I know you don't think about that, but, you know, I, uh, one of the reasons I can prove to people that I have hair at one point in my life is that I uh, did your mom and dad's wedding, and I had hair. And every once in a while, they open up their books and say, that can't be Pastor Jim. Um, <laughs> Who's allowed to get married at Lord of Life Church? Everyone? Yay! Everyone 
exactly. Okay. Here's a, here's a much harder question. Why do you think we even have church? Why do you even have church? Oh, there's an answer right back there. There's one hand up right in the middle, and I don't think her mom's going to be the answer to that. To learn about God. About God, and in particular, Jesus, because this is Jesus' church. That, that is exactly the right answer. And this is kind of an imagination question. Fifty years from now, how old will you be? Think about that for a while. And what do you think church will look like? Anybody? I'm not going to put some of you on the spot because I have a trouble thinking about 50 years from now for me. The next eclipse, I'll be 94. Oh, I have one, I have one. Oh. I hope it's the same. The same? Wow. Well, I'm going to be 59. What was it? So be 59. Okay. And like how it will change. I'm sorry. Say it nice and loud. Say how it will change. There's going to be a lot of technology and stuff. Yeah, that's, you know, there's something between those two. We don't want it to change. We want a lot of it to be the same. And yet 50 years from now, something will be different. That's kind of that's kind of the whole thing, Amelia. Fifty six. Ah, excellent. Well, thank you for doing that with me, uh, everybody. Thank you, Mrs. Mazzola, and for for helping out with that. Uh, by the way, I. Um, this year's Christmas musical is going to be awesome. Just to say, um, uh, thank you, kids. Uh, Phyllis Tickle is my favorite contemporary theologian. Phyllis uh, died this past year at 87, but she had a one-line thing that changed how I saw church forever. Uh, she said, "The church is always having a yard sale." I want you to think about that. And just let it sit there for a moment, um, because I remember it started to change me. The question was, uh, Jim. What do you love about church that you would be willing to give up so that your grandchildren knew Jesus? What do you love about church but you'd be willing to give it up in order for your grandchildren to love Jesus? Which reminds us is that things change all the time and we're always changing, we're always reforming, we're always getting rid of something. Um, But she also noted that we're doing that because we're always saving something. There's some things we want to stay the same always. Uh, We're not a club, we're not a civic organization, Uh, we're a church, and we belong to someone, we belong to God, we are the body of Christ on earth, and we have a purpose. The purpose of the church is to reach out to the world with God's unconditional love, and to do it in the same way that Christ did it, to do it with mercy, and grace, and sacrifice. Um, And so that's the thing that we're trying to save, and uh, for those of you who can think 50 years from now, what you're trying to save is the love and grace of God through Jesus Christ. Um, and we pray that you'll do that. The great miracle of the church, the great miracle of the people of God is that for 5,000 years or 500 years or 50 years or the next five years or the next 50 years is that we have managed by the power of the Holy Spirit to save the right things. To save the right things. To put some things out and say, we can't do that anymore. But there are some things we're always going to do, and those things are the the means of grace. God continues to guide and to bless us. We have so much to be thankful for. 
I thought for a moment about how to end this kind of time today, this kind of sharing, and I want to just have a very brief moment of prayer. We're going to do it with gratitude for the past and hope for the future. I've been using a little um, metaphor for this for me. It's been good to look through the rearview mirror for a little bit. It's really important to look through the rearview mirror, to remember your history, know where you're coming from. But I do want to remind you today that the windshield is a lot bigger. It's a lot bigger. And you can't drive by just looking in the rearview mirror. You have to look out the windshield. And so uh, we look back today, and we give thanks for God's generosity, but we also look forward, and we commit ourselves to trust in God's grace. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Dear God, you have been so very faithful to us, and we trust you with our future. Hear each one of us now as we pray, as we give thanks for those who went before us, for those who are among us, for our history, for our heritage. Hear us as we place our future in your hands once again. Amen.